This is really a high-tech place. The only thing that you're missing is a teleprompter. <laughs> well, it's a great privilege to be here with you today. And I especially count it a privilege because of your new place. And it's a wow. It's a great place. All of you deserve a lot of credit. And I'm sure the Lord will bless you for all the work that you have done. And may this be a, uh, a birthing place for many people to come to saving faith. Our theme for this morning is the faith that pleases God. This is a theme that has captured my attention for a very long time. I was just a young fellow in college, a fairly new Christian, and I was asked by my church to speak at the San Francisco Rescue Mission. After pondering that assignment for a little while, I reluctantly agreed and began, to, and began my preparation on the subject of faith. I'd been speaking for about 10 minutes when a voice from the audience uh, called out, what about John Payne? John Payne, you may know, uh, was an atheist. John Payne, you may know, was, wrote the, the uh, book, The Age of Reason. And uh, he was very critical of the Bible, very critical of religion, very critical of the faith. He once said, my own mind is my own church. Well, I was a bit perplexed, flustered, and I responded, uh, would you mind seeing me at the end of the service? Well, the man never showed up, to my great relief. <laughs> but ever since that time, whenever the issue of faith is mentioned, I Remember this encounter at the mission, at the San Francisco mission. And the subject of faith, especially biblical faith, has a special interest for me. And I began to ask myself a whole lot of questions with regard to this issue of faith. What is the Christian life? What are the significant guidelines that show us the way? How may we truly please God during the course of our life here on earth? And what does faith have to do with running the race of life? And what does faith really mean? I'd like to read this morning to you from the scriptures, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. And we have it on the uh, screen. Let's read that together. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We only got one verse there. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the world, worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, 
It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And may God bless the reading of his word. Perhaps you remember the story of the violinist on the streets of New York who asked the cab driver, how do I get to Carnegie Hall? And the cab driver responded, practice, man, practice. (laughs) And similarly, we might ask the question, how does a person please God? The answer, trust him, man, trust him. During my many years of speaking at youth camps, I often often was asked the question, what is faith and how does faith begin? And then another question, how does faith work in the lives of real people? Well, I'd like to begin with what is faith and how does faith begin? And because faith is so greatly misunderstood by a lot of people, uh, it might be helpful, first of all, to discuss what faith is not. Faith is not positive thinking. That is, we strive to remove all the negatives from our minds and think only happy things, think only happy thoughts. But uh, that kind of thinking maybe might be helpful. But that's not faith. Faith is also not a hunch or intuition. Again, that might be helpful. But these are in no way what could be called biblical faith. Thirdly, faith is not hoping for the best, hoping that everything will turn out all right. You know, optimism is certainly better than pessimism, but that's not faith. This reminds me of the uh, Peanuts cartoon, Linus. Linus has written a note to the great pumpkin. In which he says, Dear Great Pumpkin, I'm looking forward to your arrival on Halloween night, and I hope you'll bring me a lot of presents. Everyone tells me that you're a fake, but I believe in you. Sincerely, Linus Van Pelt. P.S. If you really are a fake, don't tell me. I don't want to know. And I suggest that is not an illustration of biblical biblical faith. But fourthly and lastly, faith is not blind trust in some sincere-sounding person. For those of you who are a little bit older, you may remember Lee Iacocca of Chrysler, uh, quite a few years ago now, in a series of TV commercials said something like this, You know, we're making good cars at Chrysler. But I'm not going to ask you to take it on blind faith. Test drive one of our cars, and if you buy it, I'll give you a check for $300. Is faith blind? Is it a leap in the dark? My answer is no, it isn't. Well, then what is faith? As we look through our Bibles to seek to understand a little bit more about faith, 
We note that in the Apostle Paul's writings, faith is the act of a personal commitment and trust in Christ. A belief that he has promised he will do something. And in fact, he does do it. He does exactly what he's promised. And I'd like to look at that a little bit more closely from the text that we read a little while ago in Hebrews chapter 11. First of all, faith begins with hope. Did you notice verse 1? Faith begins with things that are hoped for. And looking further at verse 1, we note that this is not an exact definition of what faith, what makes up faith, but rather a description of what faith does in a person's life. The word assurance in verse 1 is the Greek hupostasis and means that faith is the basis of hope. It gives substance to our hope. Faith is the underpinnings of hope. Faith is the foundation of hope. It's like the substructure, uh, nicely retrofitted. It's what gives us confidence. Hope. When we look at our lives, we hope for something better. We always hope for something better, particularly when things are not going well. And in one sense, faith begins with discontent. We are dissatisfied with the change we are now experiencing. Something better. I'm dissatisfied, personally, with what seems to be my natural materialistic bent. I like nice things. I don't know about you. Jim Elliott, one of the five men who was martyred in Ecuador, said it well. He said, Lord, deliver me from the clutching, grasping hand. Deliver me from that. And that's my prayer. And I'm dissatisfied with the cheating in life, with prisons and with robberies and with murders and with fighting and with death and with violence. We hope for something better. And when I compare what God has promised with all the things that I'm dissatisfied with, the comparison is a no-brainer. And all through the Bible, one of the big enemies of faith is an attitude of self-satisfaction, of complacency, a contentment to remain with even a miserable status quo. Obviously, why change if you're satisfied? Normally, a dissatisfied person looks for something better. And that is why we bring the word of God to people. That is the alternative to a dissatisfied life. Obviously, a dissatisfied person is more open to hear good news than the one who says, Everything is okay, especially when we know that it is not. Everything, faith begins with hope. Secondly, there's a conviction of things not seen. We're still in verse 1. This verse tells me that faith gives me a strong awareness of something else that's out there. 
We can only we become aware that the explanation of life does not consist only with what we can see with our eyes. But there are things unseen, and faith believes strongly in the things not seen. We become aware by faith of the spiritual realities and a spiritual kingdom which is as real and as vital as anything we can see. In fact, they are more real. We must understand that there is a spiritual kingdom that exists. And Jesus spoke of many unseen realities. He spoke of God the Father, unseen but real. He spoke of heaven and his Father's house, unseen but real. He spoke of the future, unseen but now revealed by faith. And if we could have the scripture from the book of Isaiah, uh, let's read some of that and notice what some of the unseen things in the future are. This is the unseen future. And one day, in the millennial kingdom, the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. future, unseen, but real. That's going to happen. It's on its way. And we don't know how long that will be, but it's coming. Unseen, but real. We're told to pray to the Father in heaven, unseen, but real. I don't know how you feel about praying to an unseen presence somewhere. If you do not believe that that unseen presence is real, to whom are you praying? To whom are you praying? If I cannot see, but I do believe that he is real, he's there, and he listens, he responds, then I've got something. The former president of Stanford Research Institute said, quote, Through the years I have struggled to gain a better understanding of electricity and magnetism in order to better harness those forces for man's use. Even so, I cannot now give a lucid definition of electricity or magnetism, except to say that they are invisible forces which have real manifestations they're invisible but they have real manifestations a good illustration of the unseen but unreal realities of life I would like to look further now at maybe just a couple of examples as I, the time is going tempest fugit 
But I'd like to look at a couple of examples here. There are three people that I'd like to talk about, as time permits, who chose to believe God when the rest of the world believes something else. And the result of their believing was that each found reality, each solved the main problem of his life. Each realized his deepest desire and gained the, the uh, gift of righteousness. That is God's approval. And what more is there than to gain God's approval? The first person is Abel in verse 4. Here are the world's first brothers. Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and Eve. And they, of course, lived when the world was very young and when everything was much different than it is today. You know, there was no income tax, no clogged highways, no congested cities, no elections. They lived, I suppose, what might be called the simple life. And yet they, too, Long for something better. They hungered for God. And if we read those passages carefully, we will discover that that was the one thing that they wanted more than anything else. They hungered for God. And it seems no matter how good life is, life is never good enough if you don't have God. Man is never satisfied without him. And these two men hungered for God. And it's obvious from verse 4 that Cain and Abel came to God through very different ways. We are told that Abel's sacrifice was better than that of Cain's. And the reason given is because Abel offered his sacrifice through faith. Did you notice how verse 4 begins? Through faith, Abel offered. This statement suggests to me very strongly that Abel and Cain knew the way they should come to God. And faith is not a blind leap in the dark. And I want you to get this, if you get nothing else but get this. Faith is always a response to revelation. Faith is always a response to what God has made known. And God must have revealed a way in which he was to be approached. Abel believed God. And Cain missed the boat. He ignored the revelation of God, which was the faith way. He didn't believe God. And the great lesson that we learn from this is that while two people may have a longing for God, there's only one faith way. It is not true that one way is as good as another. The way to please God is the faith way. The second person, I think I'll stop with this, is Enoch in verse 5. In the book of Genesis, chapter 5, we read these words. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. We're told that at age 65, 
Something happened in the life of Enoch. This something that happened was so dramatic and so transforming that we just want to take a quick look at it. At the age of 65, it wasn't retirement that came into his life. It wasn't Social Security. He had not won the Garden of Eden lottery. So what was it? The record says that he began to walk with God. He began to enjoy the continuous presence of an unseen person. And he related his life daily to that unseen person who was with him. And that's pretty mind-boggling. Are you walking with an unseen but very real person? Are you walking that way? Is it making a difference in your life? It certainly is making a difference in my life. When Enoch began to walk with God, he discovered a great reality, just as everyone here will. Enoch discovered a fellowship and a closeness that nothing could interrupt, not even death. There's a story of the Sunday school teacher who was talking to her class, and she was talking about Enoch. And she said, you know, Enoch and God used to take these long walks together. And one day they had walked so far that God said to Enoch, uh, you know, I don't think I want to send you back there all by yourself. So they kept on walking right into heaven. They just continued that walk. He was one of two men that there is no record of death. The Bible says he was not found, for God had taken him. Enoch began and continued to live a life in harmony with God in the way that could never be broken. And when God took him, he, his walk continued in the presence of God. And how could this happen? I want you to notice the last sentence in verse 5. Now before he was taken, before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Please God. And your walk with him will remain unbroken. How does one please God? Verse 6 tells us. We please God by trusting Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Would it be boring to walk with God every day? Would it be scary? Would it be boring or scary to be with someone who loved you supremely? Would it be boring or scary to be with someone who was caring and compassionate? Would it be boring or scary to be walking with someone who was there to help you and to care for you? Would it be boring or scary to be with someone who was slowly beginning to change you so that you began to act more and more like this one you were walking with?
Well, let me draw some conclusions. Faith begins with hope. Hope that there is something better that I'm now experiencing. Belief in God puts one in touch with the greatest reality of all, the unseen God. Faith gives us a certainty, the assurance about life and about the meaning of life. I do want to say one more, one more word about the unseen God. When you read about Noah, you will find out that he believed in an unseen God. And nutty Noah builds an ark 500 miles from the nearest water. Yeah, yeah, he's nutty. How in the world could you do that kind of thing? If he didn't believe in an unseen God who had given him a revelation of what's coming to pass. Faith gives us a certainty. The assurance about life and the meaning of life. And Abel teaches us that the faith way is the only way to please God. It's the only way to walk with God. And Noah teaches us that the way to walk with God is to act upon what God has said. Well, let's close in prayer. And may the Lord bless these few remarks. And uh, may we all know experientially what it means to walk with God. Father in heaven, Thank you for this little time in your presence. We're grateful that uh, you uh, has, t- has told us how we might walk with you. By trusting you. By believing in you. Help us to understand more fully and more completely that we cannot please you unless we have faith in you and believe in you. And Father, we pray that you would bless this fellowship of your people who meet here in this wonderful facility that you have given them. Thank you, Father. Thank you that we pray to you as one who is so very real. And we thank you for coming into our lives and making a great difference. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.